0: Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Yeah. Like everyone's putting, out, everyone's putting out these shows about all the bad guys and like narcos and all these other things. And here you are coming out with the, uh, the real documentary or actually the real War on Drugs documentary. So what is that?
1: Uh, well, what, mo- what most people didn't know and that I wanted to get across is it didn't start with Nixon. OK, that's what everybody thinks. It started with Nixon. It started in the 20s, really in 1915. And the first drug jet setting drug traffickers were Jewish and Italian guys. And it kind of evolved, you know, who was on top. And, you know, currently it's like the Latin American, whereas the mafia isn't. But it was really a bunch of Jewish and Italian guys that started this. So our documentary takes you through who financed it, who was part of it. Guys most people don't know started off this way. Capone, Luciano, these guys were all involved. So it's where did this whole cartel and war against it come from? It came from like 1930 is when we the government was like, okay, we got to fight this. And they put a drug czar in office. And but it was really it was all about ethnic and racial shit, like they hated the Jews and the Italians and the Mexicans, and so they're like, let's let's put them all in jail for dope. That's what it was. It wasn't about anything except money. And we hate all these people that aren't WASPy.
0: Well, what was the drug back then? Was it cocaine? Was it um, opium? Because that's Lesser, one thing uh, I Opium. Know. Opium. The.
1: Uh, the Opiates, uh, particularly morphine and then heroin, and yes, smoking opium, those were the big things. Cocaine to a lesser degree, uh, because cocaine is, is really hard to get it. It literally that plant only grows in a couple places, whereas opium they could grow it more places. And marijuana that wasn't even a big money maker, it was kind of lesser, it was opium. And, and that was you, you know, opium was a magic drug, like Civil War era. Um, the victims of war, that was the miracle drug. Okay. To, he, you know, to do surgery, to heal. You didn't have anything before that. The problem is it's easy to get addicted to. And we, you know, nobody knew what to do about that. So the government slaps metaphorical handcuffs on the problem. And what did that do? It opened the floodgates for an illicit market. Because once you're hooked, you're going to get it. Whether the government says the doctor can give it to you or not. Which, you know, currently, this whole opioid crisis. Mm. Yeah, it's a crisis. But we're attacking it like DEA agents going after doctors and nurses and pharmacy. Okay, that's fine. Except when you want to take that you know, blue or white collar guy, woman, they're Oxycontin away. Eventually they're going to end up on the street getting a $5 bag. Like you're not fixing it. You're going after it. It's yeah. And that's not even an opinion. I, I, I can't believe this isn't talked about. We're still fighting this war on drugs, which by the way, I'll just say, it has a lot to do with money. Why are we still, doing this because the government makes money, the cartels make money, you know, the only person who's screwed is the the person hooked on the substance. So
0: it's really sad. And I didn't I had no idea that this started back in the 1920s. I thought it was Nixon. I was watching that Playboy documentary. Have you seen it? It's about Hugh Hefner's life. Yeah. And it shows, you know, it seemed like when Nixon got in, everything was so different. Then they started having these programs sort of like straight, remember like scared straight, the see all of those. What are your thoughts on those programs? Do you think they actually worked at any point? Do you think it's helped anyone?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. (laughs) Um, I I think to an extent, I I don't, um, I can be really black and white about certain things, but with that, I think sure, Probably it had good intentions to some extent. Um, and it probably did help some. And I'm only, I can only speak for me as a kid. Uh, full disclosure, my dad was a narcotics cop. So I grew up with this idea that drugs were bad. And, you know, I'd see that until I got a little older and ran in some crowds that were different. And I realized, well, there's three sides to every story. And I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but... To your answer, I think there is and was a problem. I just don't think we as a society in the United States have ever addressed it properly because it's easier to demonize junkies and demonize drug lords then to really look at why in human nature are we addicted? I don't care if it's gambling, um, uh, porn, drugs, whatever it is that someone is allegedly addicted to. And by the way, I'm, I'm even a little unsure of the word addiction. It's thrown on everything. Or, OK, we're all addicted. We're addicted to TikTok. We're addicted to this. We're addicted to that. I don't know. I, I just think if there is a problem and legit, you know, some people's lives are destroyed by narcotics at the same time, putting handcuffs on it didn't work in the 1920s and 30s. Why the hell is that going to work today? And I, look, I understand some law enforcement will can argue this, um, but I'll argue. And again, is the son of a cop. I, I have my own opinions based on watching it all, three sides to every story. You know me, and you know that's how I think. I like to look at all the sides.
0: Yeah, but you're also an extremely talented writer and historian <laughs> on almost everything that's, uh, I would say, interesting, uh, like the Mob Museum, um, drug cartels, which brings me to another question. So I know that a lot of people push rehabs. That's like a multi-million-dollar business. Right. And what really seems to work for free is AA or like NA. You know, I don't know if it would have changed things back then, but being that you are the son of a narcotics cop, and I didn't know this, by the way, do you mm-hmm. think that's maybe why you got seduced into writing these books about Luciano? And now you're doing one on another guy, El Mano Negro, which I can't wait to see, by the way.
1: Yeah, that. Like all the back yeah.
0: guys.
1: <laughs> Hopefully soon. Um as as for that, yeah. Uh when I get asked, you know, what got me into this, uh, it was a what I can only call a slow burn of different influences. Um my father being a cop for sure. The fact that I sucked at pretty much everything I ever tried as a kid except writing, so I knew I I could do that. That was like my one talent. But I didn't really think about it because dad didn't come home and talk about the job. It was fun as kids because he would give my sister and I like um, fingerprint cards and blank ones and and black ink in the neighborhood kids. I you was know, kids playing cops and robbers. We literally would like fingerprint each other. And who would, it, it was kind of fun, but, but we didn't talk to dad a lot about work. I saw things growing up in a house, and I even met, like, it. I guess an informant once. <laughs> I'm thinking back, like, oh my god, there was some crazy stuff. But Dad didn't bring it home, and I think Dad had his own opinions. If he was still alive, I'd love to, you know, really ask him um, about this. But that plus is I got a running around in other crowds, as I said. You kind of and you know i was a late bloomer but when i hit 18 19 i that's when like some most adolescents it's 15 16 the rebellion i started it like 18 19 20 and then it made me think there's other sides to stories jump ahead uh, in college i started reading all these biographies uh, on culture economics governments, crime and it Made me interested, I guess. Jump ahead years later, I realized one some of my favorite books were incomplete or incorrect. So I kind of it was not a planned journey, but I found my way into journalism, and that led to you know what I want to find the needle in the metaphorical haystack, I guess. And then maybe I'll leave some legacy that the next researchers can find even more on these guys, because I think it's still relevant today. We've never solved the problem of why are there organized crime groups? Why is there a black market in of anything we, we really don't know how to address? It. And there's a psychology is everybody a sociopath you know, what's, what's the deal? Um, I, I can't answer all that, but I try to put it into perspective. Like here, you decide why this might've happened or who this person is, but I'm going to give you all the truth is stranger than fiction, anecdotal things. That's what I try to do. Make it fun even for somebody who doesn't know, but also is historically accurate as I can.
0: Well, it makes sense. And, getting not to jump back and forth, but bouncing back to the original documentary we were discussing, what is the name of that? I just want to know. I'm sure a listener. Dope
1: man, America's first drug cartel. Interesting. I called it dope man. Yeah. Because all right, a little bit, you know, <laughs> a shout out to NWA. for, for yeah. I, I was
0: going to say that's a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Growing up, you know, listening to that. And anyway, I thought it was a uh, kind of, a cool name, but, you know, subtitled, you know, the more academic this is the story of what could best be called America's first or original drug cartel. The word cartel wasn't even used in those terms until um, my, my researching it, the word was around and used for industrial groupings particularly in Europe uh even pharmaceuticals but it wasn't used to elicit groups until the 60s I think somewhere around there I could be wrong I I just my brain just disappeared for a minute (laughs) but I call it that because that's a term everyone today pop culture uh, every corner of society if you hear the word cartel what's first thing comes to mind is a drug cartel or, you know, something along that line. So I I thought that was appropriate for it. And they are, even though it was, uh, I guess, the best way to describe it is a loosely organized cartel. Because that whole drug thing was new. And these guys were all kind of in it. You know, the ones that went on to be famous mob stars all kind of had a hand in that pie, some more than others. And then nobody really recognized a lot of them as even being a drug lord. But when you look back, you're like, oh, my God, these guys kind of really were the first semblance of an organized international drug cartel. Some of these guys in 1920, as far back as 21, we're traveling to Shanghai. I mean, imagine that, nineteen twenty-one. You're being sent to Shanghai to set up a an opium deal. Nobody like I, to me. It's amazing. Plus that time period. I just picture it, and it's like, wow. So
0: yeah, it's. I remember seeing um, drawing drawing pictures of um, Asian people, you know, in the opium den, and it was just it was really very cool looking in a way, but just the um, the effects of what it did to people was just terrible. Well, and that
1: was to, that interesting you bring that up, because that was to show in kind of an unstated way, but some of the first attacks on drugs here were because, you know, the white Anglo-Saxons, and I'm not just picking, but Mm -hmm. they looked at these, um, particularly Chinese coming over to do the work that nobody else wanted to do, and they would have these opium dens, which White people were going to the Italians were going to the Jews were, everybody was going to these, but it was suddenly singularly attacked. Like, oh, this opium—it's evil and it comes from you know the Far East. So the blame game begins. That's why I, I showed it. It's like, yeah, there's a couple, you know, white dudes in there lighting up, and the Asians giving it. To, you know, it, it's just that's what we tried to show in the comic book series in the documentary. It's like a lot of this, look, I'm not trying to, again, blanket statement and tell people how to think we're showing, look, it's not what you thought it evolved into what it is today. And I don't think we ever addressed it properly yet. And I don't have all the answers. I just don't think we did it right.
0: I feel as though in this, er- this era of cancel culture, It's a great Mm -hmm. thing to put out there and maybe teach people how to think and look at things from all sides instead of just one or what else, whatever the media feeds you or this person or that person that doesn't really research it, which is one of the reasons I admire your work, Um, which brings me to the Luciano book. How did that come about? And what exactly, I, I think it's interesting you wrote about him, but there's so many other books out there about these people a what makes yours different besides the fact that you wrote it and it's awesome and B, (laughs) you know what made you decide to do that one
1: uh the luciano book
0: that one
1: (laughs) yeah that that one struck home and and i don't know why not to sound like it's some ethereal force Uh, but I was really drawn to it. And just a brief backstory. I remember a buddy of mine and I, I don't know, we were probably 2021 and we went to this, it was a charity book fair where they were selling used books for some charity. We happened to stop in and we're browsing through and there was this big hardcover first edition of the last testament of lucky luciano which was originally published in uh 75 i believe allegedly you know his words told by these two authors great book to read and i still have it and i was like excited i think it cost me 50 cents for this book but years later after i went back to college and went for journalism and Suddenly I'm finding out from historians and other, uh, you know, academics that that book was even then contested for its authenticity. And I I was like, oh, okay. So this isn't exactly really his words or this isn't true. Long story short, that was the first thing I'm like, okay, well, uh, this guy fascinates me. He's not two dimensional. Like most of us aren't. I want to know. So as the you know, time and years go by, I I found a few things, tidbits that I thought were interesting about the guy. And a publisher asked me if I wanted to write like a short little kind of gangland legend sort of story. And I said, Well, I want to do Luciano. Anecdotal chronological stories of stuff, yeah, people know. But here's the stuff you don't know. And why does it matter? Because I think he was really an important figure. But I also wanted to dispel some of the myths, you know, that were said about all of them. You know, as soon as you're famous or infamous, there's stories and legend and folklore. I wanted to try to get to the heart of it. And that book, yeah, was special to me. Yeah, it is. And that's why I ended up doing a comic book series, too. It's like, oh, after I finished that book, I found out there was more stuff I didn't know. So, you know, again, back to what I said earlier, you know, maybe someday when I'm long gone, someone will from that find even more. But the point is, it's not just cool stories about history or weird mob stuff. It's got a relevance to contemporary times. It does. I, I really believe that.
0: Oh, it does. Absolutely. And I like the line of clothing that you um, you made out of that, like the bikini. That's my favorite item, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I try to think out of the box and, you know, all right. We kind of joke, some of my colleagues and I, that we're like the new generation of of historians and crime authors. We're whatever. And we do, I don't know, in the digital era, Instagram, we do more, I guess, shock and awe kind of stuff. At least I do. Uh, you know, sometimes I thought the comic book was great to use uh, the artwork on, you know, clothes. So market it where you can, the hustle, you know, hustle and grind. The struggle is real.
0: Exactly. But it looks really cool. And one thing I've noticed about you when I first spoke with you is there's so many writers out there, I would say excluding yourself or Robert Rand who wrote the Menendez brothers book. Um, You don't really act anything like the guys that you write about, if that makes sense. Have you ever had an issue disseminating fantasy from reality? Because now you're doing this book on a Mano Negro, who's extremely, um, some people would think, very dangerous and very menacing, but yet you're not like that at all. And why do you think some people get wrapped up with that, that they think they are the guys they're writing about somehow?
1: Uh, I do believe in this, uh, again, just speaking for myself, but you can get caught up. And I think it's any career or any, I don't know, dare I say obsession, Mm -hmm. you can find yourself caught up into it. I hear about some of the, uh, method actors that literally become their character or the character actors that, you know, where you walk out of the, uh, you know off the set and you're still that character it can happen when you're writing and I will say this about me when I'm on a particular theme or subject I do surround myself with like for El Mano Negra you know I would listen to Mexican um, uh, corrido music I would you know brush up on my uh, Spanish those kind of things with Lucky Luciano I kind of place myself in the jazz age a little bit, but you do have to, yeah, you don't want to become too much of it. And sure, you know, anyone who who knows me or, or sees my, my Instagram image, yeah, I play to it. I do. It's part of it. It's almost tongue in cheek, the whole gangsterism thing. But it is something in this field to get close to the ones that are still alive and, and get to know them, like in the case of El Mano Negra. And I mean, a lot of the guys I've written about have long since been passed away, but uh, he's still very much alive and I've met him and talked to him on a fairly regular basis. And you have to you know, balance this dealing with a person that, yeah, is considered very dangerous or a sociopath on one hand and I get to, the joy of it is, I guess I get to see the other sides of him sometimes, you know, the funny, honestly, you know, he, he's got a sense of humor and, you know, he cares a lot about his kids and his grandkids. So, um, but to your earlier question, yeah, you have to watch and not get too wrapped up in it. I, I try to be tongue in cheek, but I know gr- where growing up where I did and stuff, there are Before I even got into this, yeah, there were times we walked around like we thought we were, you know, our own little crew. I mean, you would ask, you know, things that made me get into this. Yeah, honestly, the John Gotti thing was, you know, for better or worse, I'll be I'll admit. See, when that started showing up in the newspapers, me and my friends were like, let's 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 change our clothes. Let's change the way we look. Like, I mean, I know that's not oh my God, it's a horrible influence and role model. Yeah. But there were uh, good things that came out of it too. We also, you know, straighten up a little bit, look better all that. but yeah, I mean, we thought we were gangsters too, but as a writer, you, you try to look at it. I wanted to say too, about that. Why do people even like reading about this stuff? Because, I think we all live vicariously through something that we don't quite live every day, but want to understand, like the psychology, uh, with Lucky Luciano, Al Capone, El Mano Negra, El Chapo. You want it like, wow. Could could I be like, like, what, what is it about them that makes them like that? Because part of us, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to tell your boss to kiss your ass and go do your own thing. That's the romantic side or the, the, a rebellious side there's the real side of organized crime that like guess what you're still going to follow rules and you're still going to answer to somebody and you may be the boss but there's 10 other people that want your job so it's it's not that unlike regular life uh but i do but i do think it's fun like the godfather scarface whatever we're watching it to live vicariously through that character that you know and as a writer yeah, I admit sometimes I probably do a little bit through it. I'm not gonna lie, I do. It's fun. I don't want to glorify, but at the same time, I I build um opinions. Like there are certain gangsters that I personally when I'm re- reading or writing about them, I'm like that guy. And then you get somebody like Lucky Luciano, and I get a big smile on my face. I mean, I don't know, people can judge that as they want. Like, oh, what do you think? He's the greatest. Well, yes,
0: <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys like sort of dressed like those guys and changed the way you dress to look like gentlemen. I mean, these days, these that generation today, that youth, they could definitely take a lesson or two on style and dressing from that era because they were slick. They were swap. I- I'd want to be one of Lucky Luciano's ladies if I was alive back then. I mean, he was um, I mean, I'm not trying to romanticize him, but he was right. very stealth. He was handsome. There was nothing. Um, unlikable about him on the surface, if you know.
1: Actually, that's a lot of the reason I personally believe, besides his business acumen and survival mode at that era and who they were, he had, and this is a lot according to people who knew him or, or were around him, like that guy had what not everyone has exuding this for lack of a better term a charm or a magnetism that made him um you know he was one of those people that you're drawn to and you kind of listen to i think that's why i don't know he a lot of the reason he had what he had like all that ensemble cast that was on board with him they not only thought similarly lucky had that thing That not everybody has, you know, you have to have that charm, but also a level headedness that you allow your ensemble to also speak their advice in mind that that is why I think he was what he was. I I do.
0: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. And did you ever get scared that maybe someone you're writing about may get upset with you and send someone after you possibly?
1: That that can happen. Uh, apparently, a uh, knock on wood. It's not happened to me. I was. I feel very blessed. Um, when I was writing the Murder Inc. book, the uh, Diary of a Motor City Hitman, Lucky Luciano, people who are alive and/or relatives of those figures came a, a, a lot of times, reached out to me, which it's humbling and and made me feel very very grateful that they wanted to share their stories or, or uh, photographs or tell me things I didn't, like, I had no idea. That's great. With El Mano Negra, you're talking about something that's actually very current. And again, alive. So far, it's, it's been really good, because I try to treat this with respect. And okay, I'm a writer, and you're letting me write this story. There's respect there um and even people involved there's a respect for the people on the outside like hey anybody that's still alive you know you do you have to walk a fine line it's like look you tell me you know who should we not name by name and all that kind of stuff because i'm not out to look i'm not an investigative journalist out to get to the bottom of some you know fraud or criminal group I'm here to, in this case with El Mano Negra, is tell his story. I'll corroborate or correct things that historically might be wrong in it, which I do. That's my part of it. But to present his view, and that's not to go in and dig and be like, here, this you know, guy who lives here did this crime. I, that's not what it is for this particular project. There's a time and a place for that. And that's not even my thing. Like I'm not criticizing it because that's pretty amazing. Investigative. It's not my thing. I'm a historian. It just so happens that this history is way more recent. So if that makes sense, I'm probably all over the place. No, it does.
0: Because uh, I think that's more interesting being a historian and actually getting to the roots and truth of something. uh, Because that sets up the the stage for investigative journalism to go on. Yeah.
1: If they. Right. If. 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 Journalists then want to dig further in. Okay, that's you know their thing. Mine is look, here's this guy's story. I'm going to dig in and find the backstory and the anecdotal stuff that make it more sense. Cent- like okay, now I understand why. You know, it's just for an example. Okay, this guy uh, was born in the Central Valley of California, but very strong Sinaloan blood flows through his veins. So for someone who doesn't know a lot about the, you know, the cartels and, and situations or even Mexican culture, I'm trying to add in, okay, here's what he means when he says, I met El Chapo and why it was a big deal, because I, I'm assuming not everyone knows who El Chapo is. They probably heard his name, but my job is not to try to take down the Sinaloa cartel my job is to explain this is how it fit into this guy's story or how he fit into that broader story that's what i try to do so y- you know it it's not even like a decision i had to make i just started thinking about it since you asked that and i'm like yeah there are people whose job is to go in and like the forensically dismantle. Mine in this case is not that.
0: Yeah. It, it's just a whole interesting thing because I know that a lot of people have used your services as a historian because you know your stuff. I feel like that is not Yeah, I know how to dig into stuff. Do. Like, yeah, that <laughs> it's it's
1: different when you you know, there's there's that gray area between, okay. Most of what I'm digging into is stuff from a hundred or 50 years ago. An investigative journalist, they'll be digging into that or whatever for something current, but it's mostly, you know, I know this is a broad stroke, but you know what I mean? It's, it's different. I'm just trying to make it more understandable and smooth flowing with this guy's current story, I guess. But yeah, as a historian, I love digging, you know, the uh, you know, proverbial microscope of, of finding those tidbits that that make sense or that wow moment. Yeah. So I mean I get it is like an investigative journalist, I guess.
0: It's cooler yeah, because I, you go all the way back and um, you know, you you're actually the one that introduced me to Mano Negro, who I thought was very nice in my dealings with him. So hopefully, um, hopefully I get that visitation at some point soon to, you know, go in and see him. Cause it's, it is different when you write to these people and you see them from a different point of view, you know, as a human, instead of whatever they're being accused of or notorious for. Yes. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 The, uh, the thing about that, it's, this goes back to something earlier you said too. I'm like, why do we really? Why are we fascinated, horrified, interested, whatever? I think it's, it comes down to we want to find some sliver of humanity in, or in some cases, be able to demonize with a clear conscience that there is no humanity. Like take a John Wayne Gacy or something like that. Nope. Like even I, I'm like, I can't find anything redeeming about this. So, but also i have to remember wait but that's human nature we want to we want to be able to say black and white evil not evil hey, there's too much gray area uh, jose um martinez is an example of that i got to know this guy over you know the last four years and i'm like yeah he's a scary dude and he's he has his temperament and but I've seen these sides that, I mean, he makes me laugh sometimes because he's got a great sense of humor. I've seen a little bit of sadness in him, a little bit of concern, Um, all these emotions that we have. I think we all want, when we're watching forensic files and stuff, you, yeah, get to the bottom of it. And then, like, was this person really evil? Could my neighbor be like that? Could I be like that? You know? I think we kind of ask ourselves, that's what makes us drawn into this stuff. You want to know, or uh, again, maybe I'm full of shit and I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know.
0: I think you do. Well, I want to think you do at least. Um, (laughs) And Diary of Motor City Madman. So you're from Detroit originally. And how did that come about, this uh, Motor City Madman book that you wrote?
1: Well, the the interesting thing is, all right, so I'm from Pittsburgh. For anyone in Western PA, right?
0: What? Yeah. You know
1: that. Yeah. But Is... why
0: did Detroit? Ever... Well, Oh, I know I... some people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause of what you told me once anyway, go ahead. So you're from
1: Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, and some people thought when that book came out that I was from Detroit, which again, thank you. Know That was, I was pretty, you know, blown away by that. Um, Yeah. That was my very first book book. And it was because I, I stumbled across this character that I had never heard of in the crime world and outside of detroit unfortunately a lot of people haven't and i thought he was fascinating and needed to be talked about and it ended up there was a book worth of (laughs) a lot going on in the 70s in detroit and this guy just happened to figure into a lot of it uh directly and indirectly but anyway yeah so that uh is is pretty cool because um All right. Shameless plug, but I'm excited. So last night, a buddy of mine texted me and he says, guess what? I just saw a commercial. uh, The new season of Gangsters America's Most Evil is premiering in April. And as you know, the audience might not. I filmed last year in L.A. for this season in an episode that will. I, I think I can say it now because it's been announced, but the subject of my first book diary of a motor city hitman is an entire episode in this new season of that show so i was like really thrilled last night i'm like yeah finally i get to see how this came out and since nothing's not a lot has been done on this guy chester wheeler campbell for those that want to know that was the guy um the motor city hitman and um yeah. Yeah. I, it, that was a cool story. I think it was a cool story and I'm glad the show did something on them. So
0: I'm excited to watch the, um, the episode on that. So it's gangsters in America. Is that what
1: gangsters America's most evil? And I'm plugging reels network, I guess, but reels network is the one that, that airs it. It's, you know, every episode is a different real life gangster, you know, different eras. I, I don't know where in the season mine's going to premiere, but, um, I think there's like 12 or 14 episodes per season. They told me anyway. Yeah. Mine will be on Chester Wheeler Campbell. I don't know what they'll actually title the episode, but it should be cool. Um, It's a good story. I think it needs told because it it really is one of those ones that like, wow, I can't believe nobody ever wrote about Even when I wrote the book, I'm like, wow, I can't believe nobody wrote about this guy. He was like the Jane, the black James Bond, of organized crime. I am not kidding. This dude was badass. So,
0: yeah. I mean, I read a whole thing on um, the different gangs in that era, Mm. Um, like the Midwest, like in Chicago, you had like the Viceroy's and all these other things you just don't know about until you actually read about it, which runs into the next thing is you're now a historian at the mob museum, correct? Or what's your whole role at the mob museum in Las Vegas? Well, that's interesting.
1: I've, I've worked with the mob museum since, uh oh, 2015, 2016. Um, that started, I, my third book murdering, um, they, after that came out, they had me do a presentation at the mob museum in Vegas for that a book signing. It was a week long. Great. event. I mean, that was like my biggest thing. It, early in my career. Uh, and ever since, I have uh, I write for their blog. I've been writing for that on and off for, you know, what, three, four years, something like that. So, yeah, I, I keep in constant touch with them. Um, some of my colleagues and peers, my friends, uh, work with them a lot. Like, we all have little parts in it. I, I'm not an employee of theirs. I, I'm close with them. And uh, help them out and and kind of enjoy, you know, writing for their blog on history stuff. So, yeah, it's cool. It's been a long relationship. Yeah, since about 2015, I guess.
0: And I noticed that uh, this is one thing I've actually seen firsthand. Is there a lot of groupies out there for these serial killers like uh, Ramirez? manson i mean he actually got married which gives me hope somehow because if someone like that could find someone maybe there's a chance out there for someone (laughs) like that Um, i just had to put that in it's true um so what is it that you think attracts women to these guys who've gone out there and done some pretty brutal things and i know for ramirez a lot of girls came out for that one
1: Okay, I'm not a psychologist, though, <laughs> ask any researcher, writer in this field, you kind of have to put that hat on or whether you want to or not, you, you get you experience some weird psychological things, even in yourself. I don't know the answer to that. And I would, I would assume someone would probably have to go back to school for 10 years to even get an advanced degree in figuring out what makes a person and in this case, you're saying the groupies, what makes a groupie period is, okay, fame. We, we can definitely, you know, fame in and of itself is that drawing of that magnetism. But what makes somebody go to, I'm going to write letters and literally marry someone who's killed, I don't know, you know, 10 people, whatever. What makes them do that? It's, I think it's the same question we're all trying to ask is really what makes us tick? What makes someone uh, evil? What makes somebody righteous and good? What makes somebody awe. awestruck to the point of love, if you will, whatever that, you know, to someone like that? I don't know. And yeah, the groupy stuff. I've even seen a ton because I have a, a friend colleague who deals specifically in that world of serial killers and the letters he's gotten that from inmates, from fans, it's insane. I know Omano Negra has told me a few stories about the people that write him. I like—I It's—I don't have an answer. I don't think any of us do. What, what does? What makes you, I don't know, but it, I think it goes, well, you know, I mean, the fame thing, you get people who, generally are, are, you know, kind of in awe and write you letters and that's, you know, cool. And then you get down the list to, you know, pass hate mail and then down to, I want to marry you mail or, you know, okay. Or or worse stalker mail. Now, when you're in prison, I don't know that you can be a stalker to somebody (laughs) in prison, I guess. I don't know how that works, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Manson, you know, I think the media, Makes it work. I do. And I'm a media, pr- but let's be honest. The media twists shit too. They hype it. You can't not talk about it. But when the media shows Charles Manson every single day in the, in the late 60s, 90, early 70s, back then, you know, people have three channels to watch and every one of them showing Manson. You're going to get some individuals who's maybe their wiring's a little off in the world of love and relationships, right? But, hey, I, you know, crazy stalkers and every, you know, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm got rambling. It's just I, I can't figure it out, and I'm not even going to say some of the stuff I've seen <laughs> from this. It's, it's crazy, but also can we judge? I don't know. Who do you think, you know, celebrities or people that – members of celebrity fan clubs and stuff. I mean, that's like normal. I guess it's when you take it to that level and yeah, here we're making it black and white. You're a killer, but I want to write you letters. Does that make that person bad? It may make them weird if they want to marry that person. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know though. (laughs) Who am I to judge? I talked to, I talked to people that are incarcerated Uh, it's part of my job and I carry on a rapport but I'll I'll tell you that I'm like everybody else and there are moments where I turn that line in the sand like I I remember I'll just give you an example my colleague said there was some individual incarcerated who did some pretty horrible things in his life to to kids and you know this guy wanted to get in touch with me to write something and and look I, I you can point your finger at me and say okay well oh you want your cake and eat too or you're you know why is that okay and this isn't I just told my colleague I said listen man I don't know what it is I think of it what you want but I can't do this like there's just I I don't want to write the guy's story he may even have another side to him. But there's the human part of my brain that's like, I know what this guy was accused of, at least. And it's pretty sick shit. I know I can be argued to me. Well, this guy you're doing now did some sick shit. And Lucky Luciano was no saint. Yes, I I, I know that. And it is a tough balance on this tightrope of historian, journalist. But, you know, keep your mind open. And it's like anything else, a cop interviewing me or you. They're gonna try to carry on a rapport to get out of us what they want. It's the same thing. And you get to a point where you might actually like somebody, you know. I know some like even Jose, there's certain police officers that Jose liked. Like he had a good rapport and other ones he absolutely despised. It was all in how he felt he was being. So, yeah, I know I just went way no, down I the mean, rabbit well, hole. You, but, you
0: know, one person who did write to a serial killer, but she, um, nothing, she didn't end up marrying him. <sighs> anyway. Well, and there's
1: I, nothing th- wrong with it. Look, I, you know, in my field, you write to or get letters from people who are, it's just to answer that question. Why would someone want to like stalk or marry somebody like Manson? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why do we do some of the the crazy shit we do as people. I don't have the answer, and I'm not a psychologist. So,
0: you sure about that? No. Um, no. But speak. When is Jose's birthday again? I totally forgot.
1: Uh, he's June th- uh, June
0: thirteenth. Oh
1: God, I'm gonna get in trouble with him. I just forgot. I think it's it's I believe it's June thirteenth. He was born in '62, and I think it's June thirteenth.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So I could just um, make sure I send him a card. Yeah, he does like that. Yeah. Yes, he does like that. I know, he does. I, at first, I got scared when you were telling me about this, that you, were somewhere in that last paragraph, was it maybe you send photos to someone? I'm like, wait a second, do I really want to know the side of Christian? Um, <laughs> <laughs> then no. it brings you. yeah. <laughs> Then he runs into no. the other thing, like the movie Misery with Catherine Bates. Do you get, ever get any kind of weird writer groupies? Because I know they're out there. Plus, the way you look as well, I'm sure there's got to be someone out there.
1: Oh, that's too kind. Oh, my God. Um, it's good. It's good. The, the funny awesome. thing about Misery is that movie, I think, <laughs> mentally traumatized me as a writer. Like I said, I sucked at everything, but I was pretty good writer, even as a kid. And I see that movie... And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like this is horrifying that it does. It scars you in a funny kind of way. But um, are there. uh, Yeah, I guess And whenever I I look at it this way, anytime you put yourself out there as a public figure, um, you're up for that. You're going to get some hate. You're going to get a lot of adoration and love. If you if what you're doing or what you are resonates with people or, or you know, I don't even know if you have to be genuine, sadly. I don't know if you have to be genuine. I, I hope I am. And I think that's why I get mostly a lot of support. Like, again, I, I really... I don't, you know, on Instagram, I don't act as humble or whatever. It's kind of tongue in cheek because I'm still that shy, awkward kid. I was growing up and I get very humbled and like blush when somebody says nice stuff to me. I do. Um, But I've been very fortunate that most people who follow me, are pretty good. I've got, I've had like one crazy stalker and it was, it was literally some dude from Europe who was really more interested in one of our mutual friends, but found out I was friends with that person and started sending like emailing me for wherever he could find. And I ended up tracking it as like some nut bag from, (laughs) from Europe. Other than that, I've been very fortunate knock on wood, but yeah, do I get, Stuff from people. Yeah. I, I mean, I think anybody. I'm a nobody who's a somebody in my field. I can only imagine what the rest get. Yeah. Again, I can't say this enough. I feel grateful that I do, that people care. They like my work or me or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, um, I've gotten some hate uh, besides the, cra- the the one stalker thing, which was weird for a couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. over our friend, like it was all about that, but like because I'm friend anyway, but some of it was, oh, you're glorifying this, and I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna say what I say, but there's a Spanish phrase for what I told one guy to go do to
0: a member
1: of his family, yeah, and um, it's just, but you have to learn, don't get, you know, you got anyone who knows if you're in the public or put yourself out there. Don't take stuff too personally. Um, if it's a criticism on your work, take it like, okay, is there something legit about that? Like, cause I've done things or got some things wrong that I'm like, Oh, that upset me. But you know what? They were right. You, you take that. It's a, it, you got to balance it between people blowing smoke up your ass or trying to get you fired up. You know, I had a colleague once that was literally going to go out in the parking lot with someone who, uh, 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 hater. And I thought it was cool at the time, but then I'm like, Oh, I don't know. We should do that.
0: Yeah. It's probably not a good idea, but I think one of the reasons why you uh, come across as more authentic to a lot of your subjects is because it's you doing everything. It's not you and like some research assistant and all this other stuff. And I think that there are too many people out there writing about, um, certain figures such as El Mano Negro or even past figures like Luciano that don't really, uh, conquer it the way you do. You know, I feel like your approach is super hands-on and that's what makes it authentic. So speaking of El Mano Negro, when can we actually expect a finished product and what makes you take longer with some books than others?
1: Hmm.
0: Well, that one, <laughs> that, that, that one
1: went, it took a it took a long time, but I think it was more organic in certain ways. There was no deadline. I didn't have a book deal yet. It was I'm going to take this project on, and I kind of wrote in the book. I didn't even want to write about myself at all. Odd. I know some people would be like, "Yo, he didn't want to talk about himself." <laughs> I didn't. Not in this book. It ended up becoming part of it. Like, okay, well, how do I really explain meeting this? Like, how did this even come about? I ended up dealing with him for a long time before I really was convinced I was going to do the book, I guess. So it kind of organically developed. Um, And then I didn't want to just give it away. I, I didn't want to, I wanted the best opportunities, the best place for it. And I can't answer your question yet. I can't say anything, but there's stuff happening behind the scenes let's just let's just say the bo- El um el mano negra's memoir should be something announced about it in the near future we're fingers crossed praying for this but uh, i can't say anything but yeah to answer your question it was more of an organic development That at the very early stages, I didn't even know I was going to do it. I was introduced to him. I'm very grateful now because it's been like a three, four year development. And you know, something I learned from my other books. I'll tell anybody who ever wants to do this too. When you have deadlines and you want to get it done, it's great. And put it away and know you did your best, but also know the minute you hit the send button, you're going to find something new that you wish could have went in it with this book. It almost was like the universe or whatever is trying to tell me there's a couple more things, rocks that have to be overturned before you give this away. Like, and it's true, even recently finding out more stuff that I needed for this. It So I'm impatient naturally, but some things take time. So I can't say there's a lot going on. It's coming.
0: Okay. I just wanted the motorcycle to go first. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to say the least. And what could people expect in the near future from you aside from the book? I know that you have some more comic books coming out and then you have the special series. Like anything is pluggable right now.
1: Okay. All right. Shameless self plug. All right. So El Mano Negra, there is a book coming. I just can't give any details yet. (laughs) Um also excited about the graphic novel lucky okay so i wrote the book about lucky and then a few years ago seth ferranti and i started a comic book series he did and asked me to do lucky luciano which was great because i could fit in some of the stuff i didn't get in the book and they kind of go hand in hand so the comic book series is done now they're working to put it in a complete graphic novel which is what everybody wanted in the first place was we, it, like a director's cut think of it like a movie where we're gonna have photo, real photos, the parts of the script, the artist interview, uh, the, you know stuff uh, my little backstories to certain scenes all together and it's coming along. I've already looked at all the uncorrected proofs. so maybe summer, Fall, this should be out. Lucky the graphic novel. I am excited. Like this it's years in the making. Also, yeah, I'm gonna be on a couple other TV shows uh coming out. I can't really, I guess, say the titles yet till we see, but the gangsters America's most evil series that premieres April 5th. I can say that. I'm in one of the episodes because we're talking about my first book, Motor City Hitman. Um, what else? uh i don't know that's yeah that's all i can think of there's other things oh um yeah i of course always check the mob museum blog because uh, i'm one of the regular writers there uh we haven't i haven't updated anything in a while because i've had other stuff but always yeah check in with that because i always have some cool historical anniversary stories um There's other things I just can't talk about them yet. I just can't say it. So I'll just stop there.
0: Okay, cool. I mean, I I actually like Seth Ferranti. Um, If it's the same Seth Ferranti, I'm thinking of he was actually uh, a prisoner at one point and he turned into a journalist. Is that the same Seth?
1: Yeah, that's Seth.
0: He's someone I was trying to get in touch with at one point. And I have have had like no luck whatsoever. Um, so that's maybe something. Oh,
1: I talked to him. I talked to him all the time. I'll don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I trust me. I don't worry about you when it comes to getting in contact with certain people. I, I always know I could just go to you and it'll happen at some point. Um, yes. So, yes, yeah, thank you for that. And if people would like to perhaps. Follow you on Twitter and Instagram. Let's go ahead and give that tag so people could do that and learn more about you.
1: Okay, if you would like to follow me, I try to keep it across the board on social media. It's at Gangland Legend. That's it. Now I have a website, but I took it down because, frankly, I should have did it during the pandemic. But I was working on other projects. It needs an overhaul, but. Ganglandlegends.com was my website. I'm eventually going to get that back up with all this new stuff. But social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, Facebook, Gangland Legend. One word, boom. And I appreciate it. And I do talk to people like you were talking about the fan thing and all that. I try to be personal. I'm still like me, you know, that's the thing. I, I appreciate it when people reach out or ask me a question or, or you know, whatever. So. Yeah. Feel, I'm not uh, I don't I don't have like uh, an army of, um, uh, you know, blockers in between. So,
0: well, one Daykeepers. thing about you is you are a psychiatrist, you are a psychologist, because I will tell you this. Personally speaking, Christian Zablini is also a psychiatrist, because anytime I've gotten mixed up with anyone that might've had a questionable past or who definitely did <laughs> have a questionable past or sketchy, you've always given me the best advice. So I think you should start offering your coaching services at the beginning of the pandemic. My biggest complaint to you, or my big, my biggest, yeah, the biggest complaint was that Gavin Newsom was releasing criminals or prisoners into the general population of society right here in the streets. And I was hoping they would look like the guys in shot collar in the movie. And the first thing you said to me, no, 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 that's not what they're releasing. So you, you technically right. are a psychiatrist. And you, you do know about the psychology of a lot of um, the prisoners, such as the movie, uh, the uh, the series Mind Hunter, which I feel you would have been really great on as well, you know, even consulting if possible. And I'm not sure if you've seen the series yet.
1: Yeah, I, I actually have. But you know what? See, I picture myself more like Lucy from... Uh, you know, Charlie Brown with the cam that says five cents, you know, psychiatric advice. That's probably <laughs> the extent of my skill with it. No, I just, you know, normal stuff, you and I, cause we know each other. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I have seen some and experienced some weird stuff in my life. I, I, I take that as, as a benefit, a plus <laughs> that I have seen and met, quite a cross section of, of society and people you know, so anyway, I hope, I hope my words of wisdom help.
0: Yes. Thank you very much. They did kind of, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll never learn. Uh, well, I will, but yeah, sometimes. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. And don't forget to go to gangland legend on Twitter, on Instagram and check out Christian's work because it's the bomb and it's some of the best stuff you'll ever read. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jeff. (laughs)